0: and I work with Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College I teach a lot of public speaking classes that's been like my life's mission (laughs) for a lot of years now and I'm here with uh, Dr. Emily Dowd Arrow who also works at ABAC. Hi Hi there Emily and she teaches English literature.
1: I'm associate professor of English and I teach literature and rhetoric and composition.
0: And we're here courtesy of Tyler Poteet, who uh, is with POPs. How would you like to, uh, can you introduce yourself, please, Tyler?
2: Yes, thanks, Charlotte. My name is, like you said, Tyler Poteet. I'm the vice president of Power of Public Speaking. Uh, That's what is this podcast episode is, I guess, brought to you all by today is POPs and the Toolset POPs Classroom for Teaching and Learning Public Speaking, and we're hoping that this podcast series is a way to really share our core purpose of what we believe is the power of public speaking and in general communication. So I'm excited to be with you all today.
0: Okay. Well, today we were going to talk about online teaching. And uh, since thanks to COVID-19, we've all had uh, a crash course in that. And Emily got the jump on me because she's already teaching online a lot. So I wanted to start with her. She's given some really great talks to the faculty through teaching and learning at ABAC, at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, which is a mouthful, so we shorten it to ABAC. And uh, so I wanted to start with Emily and have her talk about some of the things that she helped me learn about just how to survive online when you're teaching a a course that requires more hands on than most classes do when you're online. So, And then I wanted to talk about teaching public speaking in particular online. So, Emily, you want to give us an overview about uh, teaching? Yeah. Thanks, Charlotte. So, yeah. Again,
1: I'm Emily Dowd-Arrow. I'm a uh, associate professor of English and composition. And this is another subject, if you can um, imagine, that tends to have a lot of rejection to uh, moving into online communities, online <laughs> as a as a delivery method. Um, and I I want to start with actually a recent uh, TED Talk that came out um, through YouTube which is where all the TED Talks are coming out right now. Tyler DeWitt's recent talk, Online Learning Could Change Academia. And in that TED Talk, he really illustrates the crossroads we find ourselves in today and that uh, this can really transform the online college experience from this point on because uh, as Charlotte knows too, uh, online has been happening for you know at least a decade, probably more like 20 years that there's been um, some kind of online presence to do with education and college experience, but it's it's not been the, I guess the primary or central mode of delivery, and it's certainly been one that I think has been um, devalued, and so I think. One of the things I wanted to talk about is the way that new tools, and this is something that Tyler DeWitt talked about, too, in his brief TED Talk, new tools for online delivery are invented every day to overcome what we have perceived as the impossible in teaching even the most unlikely subjects, like uh, subjects that we perceive as being essentially face-to-face traditional delivery subjects. Competition was one I certainly thought was the case, and, and Charlotte and the rest of you, I'm sure, can all say public speaking is essentially a public act. Um, but these new technologies are really changing the game. And if we continue to turn away from or reject this new medium, I think we lose our footing in the future of education. And it's up to us as, and our institutions, of course, we need support to embrace what many of us now perceive as an enemy so that we may better understand not only the medium of online delivery, but our students too. And so I think we have to approach our mindset uh, reapproach our mindset and I call it a, a facilitative online mindset. And for me, the number one principle is to understand that the stronger our dedication and our success in traditional forms of instruction, the stronger our distrust for online learning. I mean, that just tends to be, I think, the case. The more invested we are, the better we are as traditional Delivery instructors, the less likely we are to embrace online for pretty good reasons. For and some of the assumptions that I know I and others have about online education is that one, it's a lesser form; two, it's a corrupt and easily cheated form. That tends to be another assumption. Three, it's somehow inadequate to the demands of our discipline, whatever that discipline may be. Um, we tend to think it's inadequate, and then four. We think of it as a place for lazy learners and lazy educators. And I think these four assumptions are the biggest problems and the things that we have to overcome. And the first way I think of doing that is, is my second principle, which is that to understand our disdain for online instruction is a natural response to discomfort in a new pedagogical environment. It's natural to feel this way is what people do when we're moving into an uncomfortable territory that we don't understand the rules, we don't understand the tools, and therefore we distrust and disdain it. And to overcome this, we have to embrace online instruction and we have to embrace it as an advantageous delivery method that expands rather than contracts our discipline. It's not a corruption to the discipline, or at least we cannot see it that way or else we risk making it that or losing hold of education in our discipline. Um, And the fact is online instruction will transform academia. It will, it's not could it, it could transform. It will transform academia and we have a choice. We can either be part of that transformation or we can lose hold of it. Um, And lastly, I, have learned to see transformation, especially in in academia, as an act of interpretation. Transformation is an act of interpretation, of reinvention. There is no direct translation of a successful face-to-face class to online delivery. And that is what my experience has taught me. And the more I consume myself, Different forms of education delivered online, for example, in in format of of YouTube, um, I, I begin to see that as the case that, that there's fundamental changes that have to be made. And so, as communication as the communication theorist uh, Marshall McLuhan said, "The medium is the message," and that's something that that Charlotte definitely um, also touched upon in in her experience. And I think is why we come together on this podcast. So, the more successful your face to face class the more likely you're going to have to, or the more transformation it's gonna have to undergo in order to become a successful online class. And so what that means is that you've got to learn what your tools are and sit back and think, how can I get at what I most importantly want my students to learn in my class? What are your favorite exercises, your favorite assignments? And then instead of thinking, how can I put this assignment online? Think, what do I love about this assignment? How does it really get at the fundamental skills or um, experiences that I need my students to have? And then think about what does online allow me to do that I couldn't do before? You want to make it a uniquely online experience and one that transforms the actual subject and the actual assignment into something new. And And I think better. I mean, at least for me, a lot of my assignments became better and more interesting. They weren't necessarily something I could compare to what I was doing in the face-to-face classroom. They were just different. Um, but so, yeah, that. I think that is going to make life harder at first, but easier in the long run too, because you are swimming in a different pond now and you've got to meet the students where they are instead of trying to juggle that same format that you had in your face-to-face class and just somehow move it into the online um, area. So Making and reinventing, uh, making your assignment native to the online experience, reimagining what you're trying to teach in the online platform so that you're maximizing what online allows you to do. And then when it comes to evaluation, thinking about how to make your life a lot easier in, in that regard, because no longer... um are you just walking into the classroom and going from the hip and just sort of figuring out, feeling out the room? Um, there's a lot more pre-labor that you're going through to get that class ready. Um, and so that's labor that you weren't doing before. And now there may be a lot more small stakes assignments or a lot more kinds of things that, that you're called upon to evaluate and you have to give feedback to each and every student. So finding ways to make it feel like you're connected to the student. You can see them. They can hear you, that kind of relationship, but without an intensive um, mode of labor. And so, again, maximizing the tools that are now available to you online that simply weren't available to you as a face-to-face teacher. Um,
0: One of the things, Emily, I remember you said was uh, limit how many tools you use because... Uh, when i first started teaching online i was like all right i can drop in these videos i can drop in you know that's i can true too. speakers i can i can do all kinds yeah. of cool stuff i can be there you know every time the students click on they come online i can be there with something i can have something new and uh, it can overwhelm me and it yeah. can overwhelm the students too yeah that's true and that's i think that's the other problem about getting into something
1: new it's great to throw yourself into it and get excited about it. And I, I agree, I had the same issue, Charlotte, that I thought, Oh, we can do this and I could do this. But the fact of the matter is being simple, sticking to it. Whatever it is that you wanna do, if you wanna do that video online delivery, if you wanna have things written, um, stick to that mode and keep it consistent because your students are going to feel overwhelmed as well.
0: <laughs> I remember you talked to about a workshop. I think it was that you had that you like to do in the classroom and then you had to change, change it to online.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think for composition instructors, that's probably the best example um, of an, of a key skill that composition teachers swear up and down can't be transformed. And I thought you cannot transform the workshop experience because essentially what you're doing, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do this to some extent in speech, but what you're doing is you're taking your work into your, your fellow writers your classmates and you're sharing it with them and you're, you're reading each other's work, you're having a discussion, and it all takes place within that, you know, hour and 15 minutes or whatever your classroom time is. And in the past, you, you did a little prep. You told students what they were going to do. Maybe assign them a reading. Maybe showed them what a workshop or what responding looks like. And then, while you were in the classroom, you could help them. You could circulate. You could foster. Um, watch them write some notes, and then it was done. In the online experience, I had to figure out what can I do to make this because I still cared about it. I still felt like feedback and looking at other students' writing was important. But it was so impossible to think about how to re envision it. But now. I actually use the way I do it online more in my face-to-face classes. Um, And what I found was that I had to give more time to teaching the skill because I wasn't there. I couldn't look over their shoulder. Um, I had to give more time to showing them practice and examples. And then what I found was I could actually get more out of it than I had been getting before in the face-to-face setting where students would just cop out and not really give good feedback, or they would just chit chat about nothing, which was great, but maybe not getting at an actual skill. Whereas in online settings, I could look at their feedback, because they were doing it using word comment, and other dynamic methods that I could then read. And I could actually evaluate their feedback in a way that was constructive to tell them, okay, yeah, yeah you're really showing these skills. Oh, I, I really see you picking up on that exercise that we did before. Well done you. And I also was able to present workshop in a way that I thought was ultimately much more valuable. One of the biggest complaints in my composition classroom for 10 years about workshops was I don't care what an unexperienced writer says about my writing. Or I I don't feel comfortable telling someone else their writing is good or bad, which again was like fundamentally not the point of workshop. But students kept going back to that. They kept thinking, well, I'm not experienced. I think the teacher should do this. Or I don't feel qualified to do this. Where when of course the point was that you're practicing, you're learning, you get an idea, looking at someone else's work gives you a better sense of how to look at your own work when you go back to it. But those things were lost in the face-to-face setting in ways that in online I could hone in on and I could say, actually, if you get good feedback, that's a happy accident, right? The point is you practicing. Can you look at someone else's work and see these things and, and do these skills? And so then I, I was able to concentrate on the actual feedback they were giving as the skill as the the actual work that I was going to be evaluating rather than just giving them space to have this experience I could actually foster it and and help it along and that's something that would never have even occurred to me to do if I hadn't been teaching online and forced to try to find a way to let students give comments to each other
0: yeah I've online. found some I found some of my favorite exercises have, have shifted pretty dramatically, too, and have done surprisingly well. I mean, I was, I was, yeah. uh, and, and it was the students that were doing it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. told them to find partners. So this was an interpersonal class. I told them to find a partner in the class and answer a series of questions interpersonal questions about how they related to group work Mm -hmm. and it's something that I could use too for group work for public speaking too if I wanted to Mm -hmm. And, and I have thought about that but anyway a few of my students they submitted the work and they put in the message section I couldn't find anybody that would respond to my emails. So I just went and talked to my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my roommate, my mother. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it turned out that that was just an amazing exercise for them. They came back and said, it was just so amazing. I mm-hmm. learned all the stuff about my mother that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's interesting, too. Cool. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, yeah, I was just saying, it ends up being a good teaching tool for us, too.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. So they they came up with that on their own. And um, well, and that's one thing I like about uh, Tyler and Pops. They have, Tyler, can you tell me, tell us a little bit about your uh, site where students can go in and evaluate each other's work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, And listening to you, Emily, talk about how you have rethought the online class and, and and, and really the progression of that and the evolution of that really reminds me of a lot of how we started with this project between myself, my own public speaking professor, her name's Katherine Taylor, the University of Louisville. We originally, when in working with her and putting together the, the software platform on my end, made this in the mindset of an in-person class, even though it was an online tool set, We were making it to be used in person and similar to how students are doing work at home. But then they always came back in. There was that touch point of coming back to the class face to face. And so we made those core assignment parts that are common probably in all public speaking classes. You had your, your outline and your speaking notes. You had... Uh, where you did peer and self-reviews for the speech, and you had a way to grade the speech as an instructor. And so these things, it was nothing that online really opened up opportunity for. It was really just recreating what was in class online. And as we started to look at more online classes, and especially in this last year, obviously, with COVID and everything moving online where before maybe there was resistance and there still is today, but just we didn't have a choice. We had to move online right. and the tool set in that way. Yeah. The tool set in the same way, we weren't anymore just saying, how can we recreate what we were doing in the classroom? We really looked at it as an opportunity to say, what can we enhance and make possible that was not possible? just mm-hmm. in the classroom. And so now we have mm-hmm. different levels of feedback and different ways students can can share videos and we have an AI speech tutor mm-hmm. to help students practice totally on their own. And so all these things mm-hmm. are still core to the central purpose of the class. And mm-hmm. as you talk about don't don't overcomplicate, it. don't put in too many videos and stick to one method. I think that's great as well because I think the the key is don't just use these uh, tools in the tool belt, just because they can be used, but use them to accomplish the outcome of what you want the students to learn in the class.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that it it ends up if you if you stay focused on what are going to be your most facilitative tools, then you can you can help teach the the students the tools as you go on, and and they don't end up being themselves an obstacle to to getting the assignment com- completed. I mean, if you're rethinking about your, your course, now that you're, you know, you're forced through the fear and the disdain, and this is your mode, giving yourself the, first the opportunity to imagine, okay, now I have at my fingertips, all the capabilities of audio and video tech that's out there. I have the internet. Um, I have asynchronous instruction, which is something that actually is a gift in many ways if you can get past the idea that an audience is a real immediate thing. I mean, theoretically speaking, an audience is always an illusion. It is always imagined. You are just as freaked out thinking about recording a video by yourself with the imagined audience that might be hearing it as you are in front of a room of 100 people. The audience is always in your head. So if we can get past this idea that the audience is something that has to happen synchronously, we have a lot of tools at our disposal, but then once you select your tools, they need to be part of your class from start to finish so that students are learning the tools as they go along as well and getting more and more familiar with them so that, yeah, the the tech and the mode of delivery isn't itself an additional hurdle for them. Yeah, you don't want to, like, throw in a new tool at the end.
2: Well, and Sh- Charlotte, we kind of talked about that. I think, Emily, what you're touching on in the audience is the same no matter where. I think if you can accomplish that, that is a long way toward making the outcomes of the class a reality. And that I think the problem too often with these asynchronous classes, at least I'm seeing, is that students aren't picturing an audience when they're recording these videos Mm -hmm. they are that concept isn't coming through they're just frankly reading a paper in front of a video camera if you can let them know that Mm -hmm. this is going to be heard by an audience and try to recreate that that is Mm -hmm. key to this i think especially the asynchronous formats
1: Mm -hmm. well yeah and i think that comes back to remembering that this is this this is an age of new new communication forms. And so if you can connect that to other situations in which they are probably recording themselves for an audience and putting a lot more care into it, rather than just thinking, oh, this is an assignment. You know, it's just a class. I'm just going to dump this in and move on. Um, getting them to think about it in a real rhetorical situation, um, like they would if they were recording a TikTok video <laughs> or something that they were posting on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um yeah, I, I guarantee they they took a lot more care
0: for their appearance. Um, well, yeah, and, and that's that was one thing that I found exciting. I mean, you know, COVID nineteen happened. We all had to deal with it. And as I was starting to change my classes to online, I started to realize that uh, first of all, what Marshall McLuhan said, "Medium is the message," is very very true, and uh, it was changing the way students approached public speaking, in particular. But I was thinking this is an opportunity for us because I was teaching online back when you had to write your own code. You had to know HTML code and the school would give you a platform. (laughs) It was usually Blackboard when it was still free. And uh, you had to create your own class and they pay you extra money for it. And uh, but you know you were working from the ground up, so that meant you not only had to know your own topic, your own area of expertise, yeah. you had to know enough about computer programming to set up your own class. And uh, yeah. so now the and and your your tool belt was very limited. You spent a lot of time driving a screw in with a rock because you didn't have the right screwdriver <laughs> around. <laughs> you know? yeah, it, yeah. We really
1: need institutional buy-in across the board, I, I think for sure.
0: Yeah, and but now I think we have an opportunity for the technology to fit the pedagogy that we're teaching. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but Uh, You know, like Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. And uh, well, Emily, like you said, too, a lot of my students have had experience with TikTok and video recordings. And now everybody's talking on Zoom. Even my 92-year-old uncle (laughs) is familiar with Zoom (laughs) (laughs) and meets with his family regularly. So everybody's doing it. And uh, that has been influencing the way students approach public speaking, which is, uh, you know, asynchronous. And Emily, Mm -hmm. you were talking about how they need to picture the audience in their mind. And and I was in the same boat because I was asked to introduce a guest speaker at a conference Uh, about a month ago, and I was given the option, I could either speak live on Zoom uh, from the comfort of my den, or I could record the message from the comfort of my den and give it Mm -hmm. to them like a month early. And I said, I will record. (laughs) I'm going to record this because then I can record it as many times as I need to. Yeah, edit it, yeah. I've made the same offer for my students, you know, especially the first semester. I said, I will be here. You can, I'll be on Zoom. I'm on Zoom every day of the week for at least an hour. You can come in. You can give your speech to me in real time. Uh, You you know, if that doesn't work, give me a time. I'll meet you online. No one, no one has taken me up on that. Hands down, they would all rather record it. And they tell me mm-hmm. this way I can record and I can keep recording until I get what I want. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. So I have I'm still trying to convince them not to edit. You know, this needs to go mm-hmm. from beginning to end. And, um, and that was another thing, too, is you need to have a live audience because that live audience adds a dimension that you just don't get if you're just recording and talking to a camera. It's, yeah. it's just not the same. So, um, But because of COVID-19, I, I had to make allowances and say, you can Zoom in your audience. You, can, you only have to have four. Um, the other thing I noticed that changed was that i've always had a rule when i had this students in the classroom uh you cannot bring to class as your speech aid nothing illegal nothing dangerous nothing live that means no small children and no animals (laughs) and if you aren't sure (laughs) if your speech aid falls into one of those categories come and talk to me Well, people were talking about um, giving speeches about uh, training a dog, and one wants to do something about horses. And I started to realize you can go to the barn. Now they can do it. Yeah, you can go to the barn where your horse is at. You can have your audience there in the barn uh, and Mm -hmm. can use your horse. And uh, I did recommend that you have someone hand you the dog's lead or the horse's reins and then take the horse away when you're through with it. And you have mm-hmm. someone record the speech for you. Don't try to do all of this at the same time. So mm-hmm. and ask your audience to help you. But I don't have to worry about a student who wants to bring live chickens to the class, which <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so, so good. Uh, yeah. And the, so that part has worked out really well. It's opened a new dimension that I hadn't thought about. But. With public speaking, and and I came clue, clean with you, Tyler, and initially when you asked me to do this, and when I said I wanted to talk about public speaking online, because I have said for years, like you did about literature, Emily, public speaking mm-hmm. has no business being taught online, <laughs> because it's just yeah. too artificial a situation for it to be convincing or to to connect with that centuries-old tradition of public speaking that it's built on. So there has to be a sense of time and place and uh, context in which the speech is given. And, but we're already familiar with stepping away from that. I don't know how many times I've shown uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech to a class, And a lot of them have seen it in high school or even junior high school. And I say, I have a dream. And they all go, oh, no, not that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's look at the audience. What did these people have to do to be there on that day? They had to drive. And if they were African-American, they would not be allowed to stop at every filling station. They wouldn't be allowed to use the restroom. They wouldn't be allowed to go to a grocery store or restaurant and get food. So they had, you know, difficulty getting there. When they were there at the rally, when they were to listen to that speech, they didn't know if they would be arrested, if they would be beaten, if they would be, you know, maybe shot and killed. They didn't know. So they were facing all sorts of uncertainties. They were out in the hot sun in the middle of nowhere. Like I told the students, you look at the video, I don't see any porta potties anywhere in there. And I don't see anybody selling drinks or food. (laughs) So, you know, it can't have been all pleasant, but people were there in their Sunday clothes. People were there with their kids. Um, So they took risks and King was killed not long after he gave this. And they took
1: risks to see him speak, to actually be part of,
0: Yeah, that public moment. Yeah, and it wasn't so. It's not just the speaker; it's the audience and the sense Mm -hmm. of place and time. They knew that they were making history with this, and um, so when you're giving a speech in the class, too, the class is so influential in how the speaker responds. You know, Emily, you were saying you can't get students to give feedback. I've mm-hmm. had the opposite happen in some of my classes where now uh, I ask them to evaluate each other's speeches, but I want to review it first because some some students can be pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. The, uh, uh, yeah. And I was sure <laughs> that we That's understand positive yeah. feedback. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so yeah, but um with the when when they're speaking to a camera though they tend to fall into those old habits of, well, old, the new, the new habits of talking to a camera and talking to an audience that's asynchronous. So uh, I've had students that have uh, done some beautiful production work. They have background music. They have billboards at the beginning and end. They have, uh, you know, boards that divide their speech into parts so they uh, and uh and i am like i don't know if i can count that as a speech aid because it's video production so where am i supposed to draw the line but it, it is it is an interesting evolution maybe yeah, yeah. i don't know
1: we're at an interesting and, moment
0: well yeah and and that's what i'm trying to decide because Uh, I want them to understand the difference between giving a speech to a live audience in the moment and recording Mm -hmm. that versus recording yourself standing up talking and then presenting it to an audience that can log on and listen to it at any time. And they Mm -hmm. won't have the context of the classroom. and. Uh, The audience that's listening and hopefully nodding Mm -hmm. and, you know, occasionally asking questions because by the time we get to persuasive speeches at the end of the semester, I used to just schedule like a week to do speeches. Now I schedule two and a half because people get excited about their speeches, you know, and the audience Mm -hmm. will jump in and ask questions and I can have allocated seven minutes for one speaker. And at 12, I'm like, okay, we're done.
1: It's important though to remember though, that even, even in the traditional context that you're describing, there's still a lot of, again, imagination that you're prompting your and you're training. Even in your face-to-face class, you're, you're teaching them all to pretend. They're all taking part in a fiction. The fiction is that this speech is being given to a particular audience, which is not, being given to fellow students. and This is something that in rhetoric and composition we've been talking about for a long time, the fact that we're trying to train writers to write for a specific audience that's not the teacher or their classmates, which is usually what they're writing for, and the writing ends up being bad. So it's it's always already a fiction that everyone's Participating in or not. And the strength of you as a teacher in a traditional classroom is that you're able to help them recreate that illusion and you're able to get your class to participate in being the accurate target audience for that speaker. And I think in the online setting, it's just a different kind of training. You've got to train them into that imaginative world in a different way. Um, but they are still potentially doing that. And the more that they can get into the role, I think the more, um, the more of that authentic speech that we'll, we'll be able to capture in the online setting. Well, and, I
0: hope. and that's, that's the other part of this too. And here I'm trying to look into my crystal ball. And if anybody out there, Tyler said that there would be a webpage where I can post questions like this. So, um, what do you see for the future for public speaking? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I just spent Monday through Friday at the see Southern States Communication Association annual convention, and mm-hmm. it was completely online. Some of that was really a good thing. Sometimes it was rough because the technology. Was <laughs> <breaking up laughs> for yeah. That I attended. And we finally had to give up. <laughs> the bane of, yeah. The mind. speaker got bumped off and we all finally went, <laughs> okay, that's it. Yeah, um, like a ra- rainy, rainy day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. should I shift or should we shift public speaking to um, more where students are learning to speak to a camera and speak to that imaginary mm-hmm. audience or to a live audience that they can see you know, the mm-hmm. faces in little boxes all across the screen where they would be talking to people that are not in the room. And that would mean yeah. that we could allow them to sit instead of right now I'm yeah. asking them to stand. Uh, they definitely still under no circumstances to just read a speech like Tyler was talking about. Uh, everybody right. in the audience knows how to read. So yeah. we could just, you know, email the attachment to everybody and we'll read it ourselves. Or you can yeah. get up and present as you should and make it your own, your own speech, yeah. but um, yeah, should should we do some of that, and I'm beginning to think about incorporating public speaking as part of that, where I would allow them to give at least one speech, and say, you can sit, uh, if you want to wear sweatpants, I don't want yeah. to know about it. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I agree,
1: Charlotte, I mean, gosh, it seems like it, it, at least a, a module, I mean, because Look at any of the, the content creators today on YouTube, which is just ubiquitous now. I mean, every student is growing up consuming YouTube and the successful content creators are doing the same things that you're training in speech writing. They are practicing. I mean, they get to edit in a way that they may, perhaps didn't in the past, but they have memorized their script. They, you can tell the, the content creators who are not memorizing their scripts. You can tell the ones who do not prepare and who just wing it. It's bad, uh, it's long, it's, it's inefficient. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a skill. It is still, I think, public speaking. I mean, I, I feel like it, what's happening is that two things that we saw as separate are no longer as, as separate as we thought before, video production and, and uh, public speaking, but it's not, it's not the same yeah, and, necessarily. Um,
0: darn. What was the thought? Went right out of my head. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Yeah, my phone acted up. Sorry about all that. Uh, noise, yeah. but my phone gives feedback sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, and they're they're going to be doing these speeches. They're going to be giving these presentations, like you said, podcasts and that kind of thing. And that was it. The other thing too is how do you prepare the scene? You know, we talked about Tyler, you and I talked about it. And I think with Emily too, about the background that uh, you show when you're doing a podcast or if mm-hmm. you're videotaping or if you're talking to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that I was kind of paying attention during this conference to see what people had in their background, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of curious to see. And uh, yeah. I'm about the only one that really let my life show. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, uh, but uh, and that was something that in my business, pro- my professional communication class um, for managers is it's designed to help managers with interpersonal communication relationships at work, that kind of thing. And I always add an audio visual element because any Next. professional these days is going to have to know how to do audio video recording and post it online. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to talk about things like lighting and background and mm-hmm. uh, how to use a green screen, um, how to light your face, mm-hmm. how to use makeup, even for guys. Uh, so all sure. of those kinds of things. How do you present yourself in a professional way? Yes. And I saw a yes. really funny uh, little, little blurb about news people, news hosts. And how it was showing the evolution of the newscast, and how people have learned to watch out for what's in the background. It had one reporter; I mean, she was like a, a national reporter on a national news stage, and uh, her she's talking. There's a stairwell in the background, and she's clearly in her living room. Her son in pajamas comes down the stairs and is just standing mm-hmm. there staring. And then oh, his yeah. big sister comes charging after him, and he's running that way. She's after him. She drags <laughs> him back that way. Oh yeah the <laughs> the naked the naked child. You have uh, to watch what's going on in the background is, too when you're recording. Yeah. So, but yeah. those are all things that I think really should be added. But how do you add them to public speaking? I think that's a really good place to put it, though. Uh, sure, no, yeah, be an appropriate way to. Uh, advance the class, even if I was still in the classroom, and I'll be going back to the classroom in the fall. I'm thinking that that is something I would probably add and have students post online and then Mm -hmm. put it in something like Tyler's group, you know, on uh, POPs, where students go in and evaluate each other's speeches. That's another part that's sadly missing for online that POPs helps with is How do you get students to evaluate each other's speeches? Because that's a huge part, listening and evaluating. That's a big part Mm -hmm. of public speech. Yeah, I I agree, Charlotte. I think that's a um, fabulous idea. That's about everything I had, unless Tyler, can you think of anything Emily and I might add?
2: Well, just on what you were just talking about, we're seeing a lot of uh, instructors who are using our tool set because that's who we're talking to about how they're organizing their class is we're returning to class this summer. We're returning to class this fall. But what you're talking about, there are all these other dimensions now to contemporary public speaking, whether you want to define it the same way or not. But it's mm-hmm. but the communicating with people is, is changing, especially since being in front of a, a group may not always be possible like we saw in the last year, or maybe it's just uh, financially more efficient to join via Zoom instead of, of traveling. And though, I, I mean, I enjoy doing that, as we probably all do. We like to still travel, but sometimes you just have to do that. But what they're doing is saying, all right, I'm going to stick to my my three main speeches that I had in the class. We're still going to do those. But I'm going to do it, especially since I can do it asynchronously and it's not going to take class time. I'm going to add in a fourth speech type and it's going to be delivered whether we do it on Zoom or we do it totally asynchronously and have students record and upload, in our case, to POPs. But it it could be, you know, to any format just to have them do that upload and then not only do the upload, but then watch all the other students' recordings. And to have that experience of both sides being the presenter and the listener, as we learn, that's part of the communication process, listening, to help solidify that. And maybe they have that earlier. It's not necessarily the last speech, because we've seen that doing that method even has an impact on the in-class speeches, because they have a better understanding of -hmm. the two sides of that when they see it from the asynchronous perspective
0: yeah I think the last I forgot yeah, ahead, about that too uh, I always have students record their speeches and play them back uh, even before they yeah. had cameras right. in their phones. It's really really important for them to record their speeches and watch yeah. them because it makes a huge yes. difference the first three or four times that you watch yourself yeah. speaking once you get past the cringe factor uh- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yep yeah well so that's the so value i you. I really have yeah. go ahead, Emily.
1: Oh, I was going to say, the last last thing I would say is that I feel like, again, in the spirit of embracing what is possible now in moving into this new forum, I think maybe even in a way this could be, if you think about it from the public public speaking perspective, this could be a new way for public speaking to actually... um, sort of reinvest itself with a sense of immediacy and uh, important rhetorical situation because it's now moving into the forum where students are perhaps more than any other place given a, an avenue, given a forum to be public speakers or public individuals in a way that has for a very long time been inaccessible. But now through YouTube and these other sort of um, modes of communication, they can suddenly find themselves speaking and addressing to audiences of hundreds and thousands of people can become a content creator, can share whatever it is. Their, their hobby knowledge can be a place to create media presence for their business, by speaking about their products. I mean, how many products have we seen now whose uh, owners have made it a point to do public videos about their products? And because they're good public speakers and have developed a cool personality, they don't even have to pay for advertising. So I think this is a place to help students see a real rhetorical situation, a real exigency for being in front of others, but in this new space, in this new way. And it it just, I think it makes the immediacy and the potential exciting in a cool way that we, I think as educators would be foolish not to um, take advantage of and really own.
0: Yeah, well, and online too, it opened up whole new opportunities for people that can't go to traditional school. You know, as a traditional student myself, I went back and got my master's when I still had teenagers at home and I was working a night shift so I could go to school. And if I'd have been able to take my classes online, my life would have been 110% easier. Uh, In nursing seems to have been one of the first uh, schools that has done that. They uh, tend to do their classes online. And, uh, yeah, I used to teach philosophy for mostly nursing students. And I would post audio of my lectures online. And they would drive sometimes an hour one way to work. This is up in northern Minnesota. And they said that they would download those audio files and listen to them while they were driving. Mm So, you know. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of positive things about putting your lectures online, about uh, putting assignments online. And those are things I'm already doing is having students submit a lot of their work online. Any place I'm at, if I can log online, I can access it, which is nice. And, uh, you know, Emily, you were talking too about taking some of the weight off your shoulders when it comes to moving online. What's been killing me is trying to make the content, the course content, because There again, you know, and and it makes me really reluctant to change textbooks because when I change textbooks, I have to redo the entire thing. Well, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Textbooks come with that. And
1: And that's that's where we we need. We need institutional buy-in. We need, we need our, us as faculty, we need to jump in, figure out what it takes to make a really high quality course. And we need to be able to present that to our institution. We need institutional buy-in. We we need more funding for uh, quality course prep, uh, if they really want quality online courses, which I think they should, because they're competing with online corporations who are producing quick and easy content, not produced all by experts. So we 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 really want to get better su- support um, because online is not a place for lazy educators. It is. Harder, and I think more time is needed.
0: Well, yeah, Um, I'd say that about students too. It's not a place for students either. That's Uh, right. No, not at all. No, I used to teach blended courses or, you know, half online, half in the class. Hybrid. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. hybrid. And uh, the students would say, Oh, good. I only have to be in class half the time, one day a week. That means it's going to be easier in the first day of class. I would point out. This is not going to be an easy class. If anything, it's going to be harder because when you come to class, I expect you to be ready to give a presentation, to give a speech, to, you know, demonstrate that you have done the work, that you have read everything, you've finished the assignments that I gave you, you've listened to whatever talk I have posted, and you are ready to go from the minute I take role and say, all right, Mm -hmm. let's start with this presentation or this speech, So, yeah, students have to take more responsibility when you have an online class and especially Mm -hmm. for freshmen or some of the high school students that are taking early college classes. That can be hard. And that's one reason you have to be a presence online, too. You Mm -hmm. have to be in constant touch with your students and be posting announcements and sending them emails and possibly calling them. Some schools encourage that. Some don't allow it. Um, My office phone is forwarded to my house so I can always answer the phone, (laughs) you know, and uh, students appreciate that, especially if they're still new to online, being available is really important to help them adjust. So you have to be willing to, you know, to be available like that and to be a presence to encourage them to to go online. So, yes, students have to be willing to meet you halfway for it to be successful.
1: It's a big paradigm
0: shift, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, and And that's why well, I think I'm sorry, go ahead, Tyler.
2: No, no, go ahead. I was just going to mention something else. Go ahead.
0: Um, that's why it seems to me that, well, at least in my experience, people that are non-traditional students or that are at least older students have a better luck with online. You have to have the discipline, you have to have good study skills. To, uh, to be able to go online and be successful, especially if you're not familiar with it, and you're having to learn the entire classroom. But um, there again, that's where tech support has to be a buy in too, and Um, We're fortunate at ABAC. Chris Daniels is wonderful. I'm giving a shout out to Chris Daniels here. (laughs) because I'll, I'll send an email and ask him for help. And he's always right there. And the rest of tech support at ABAC too has always been really, really great. But you have got to have that support from administration and from tech support to give you the tools you need or it's just going to be a battle, and uh, yeah, I've worked at, with online classes at every stage. When I was a graduate student at Northern Arizona University, they had classes like every week from tech support would offer classes and how to post it, you know, and this was a while ago, so it was still harder and new, uh, how, to post, how to edit and post videos and how to do all kinds of stuff with desire to learn, And I was going to those classes, and I was looking around going, this is an enormous university. Why are there only 15 people here taking these classes? And they said, because faculty don't come. All of you are graduate students. Yeah. (laughs) But thank goodness the graduate students
1: eventually, well, eventually, hopefully, become faculty. Because, yeah, change is tough to... uh to convince people though, but I hope, I hope we've convinced some people to uh,
0: embrace change. Yeah. So while deep in my heart of hearts, I still think that public speaking should take place in the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Still, I'm not as down on online public speaking as I used to be. I've always said that if you have to choose between no public speaking at all, or teaching it online, definitely you should teach it online. Uh, And I've had students that were in like Afghanistan stationed um, in the other side of the world that were logging in for public speaking classes (laughs) because, you know, it's the only way they could do it. Um, But now we have the tools that we don't have to pound the pedagogy into misfitting, badly fitting tools to get the class online. Now we have the things that we need to actually make it effective And with technology moving forward, you know, this is going to be what students are facing now, giving speeches to a camera online, giving speeches to an audience that's little faces on screens. So, or maybe no faces. That's really unnerving for me when uh, I can't get people to their camera. (laughs) But that's radio. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's been around around for a long time too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, thank you, Emily. Do you have anything else to add? Or No,
1: no. Thank you, Charlotte. This has been lovely. And thank you, Tyler, for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate I, it.
2: Absolutely. Thank, thank you both. And I was just going to mention, speaking of online, like you mentioned, Charlotte. Your question there, and really the questions you've posed in this episode, we're going to try to put up on the page on the POPS community site. It's powerofpublicspeaking.com that this website will be posted from, but we'll also be posting to YouTube, as well as SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. And so in any of those formats, you can respond back as a listener to these questions. I think if you do it through the POPS site, you may have to create an account to be able to you know, be able to post as yourself. But if you don't want to make an account there, you could still probably everyone has a YouTube account. This will be posted to YouTube and just make a comment down in the comments yeah. under the video.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd love to to get some input from other people who are, you know, maybe one foot in each side, one foot in the classroom, yeah. one foot online. Yeah. Or I'd love to hear what's working for you and what's not and what your students are bringing back. Because like I said, Mm -hmm. my students are educating me constantly. So I'd love to hear what your classes have been teaching you. (laughs)